and welcome back to another episode of Blossom Down. We are your host. I am Steve. He is Wally. He is David. We all want to wish you a happy belated Thanksgiving and happy World Cup. It's been a crazy last week. Before I toss it over to the boys, we want you to know this episode is brought to you by Tabbies.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. T-A-B-E-A-S-E.com. Make sure you use promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order, as well as free shipping. Gentlemen, how was our holiday? Come on. This is a In the Trenches podcast. You know Thanksgiving is our holiday. I'll toss it to you first, David. How was your turkey day, brother? Uh, it was pretty good. Spent the day with my girlfriend's family and had a lot of fun. Had a good day. How are your guys's? You're always so short and sweet at the beginning. I always can't because then you get all revved up when you get into like the Browns. I need to. I'm going to saving suck it. out that Browns energy early on one of these hey, days. Yo, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I, I don't want Lamar Jackson coming after me. We'll get into that later. Uh, <laughs> but I uh, see you know me. I'm not actually a giant Thanksgiving guy. Like I'm one of the weird people on earth that like the typical traditional Thanksgiving food doesn't do it as much for me. So I love the football. That's a great added benefit, but more or less for me, my favorite part about Thanksgiving is that as soon as it comes, you know, that it's Christmas is here playoff. Meaningful football is right around the corner. There's sports of Palooza all over right now. And you brought up the world cup. It's been so much fun so far. Like we, we knew with Qatar, there were going to be some unfortunate stuff that isn't on the pitch related. But when you actually just get the games playing, it's been really high quality and it's been fun considering the fact that in the mornings I can at least watch a little bit before I have to go out and do stuff, which is always beautiful. But anyways, Steven, how'd you enjoy your Thanksgiving? How are you doing? So I'm the same way. I know we were kind of leading about how much we like Thanksgiving. I'm not a big Thanksgiving guy, and I'm I'm on the same boat as Wally. And if you guys don't follow Wally on any social media, you just don't understand because that fucking family cooks. It's like they have. It's like four emeralds live in that kitchen, and they're just whipping it up all from all different countries. Before I get into mine, with the World Cup, Wally, because you guys throughout the years that we that we've known each other, it's always like a different country's food that you guys like to eat if it's like a polish day if it's like a caribbean day a mediterranean day even those aren't those aren't countries those are more territories but for the world cup and thanksgiving do you guys do anything crazy like get a couple different dishes from maybe like a south korean dish no like a germany versus japan dish a little hibachi against i don't know just like fucking pretzel See, you were on the right track initially because Poland's in it, because Poland actually has reason to care. My dad claims it had nothing to do with it, but we definitely had a big Polish day. Pierogies, kobasi, clover leaf rolls. We had a, a, a lot of good food. I'll say that much. And it's nice to at least see one of my sports teams in the world win. So to see Poland win, even though they're probably going to get dummied by your buddy Alfonso's Argentinian team later this week, I got to at least enjoy it for 90 minutes. 90 minutes I got to enjoy it. Hopefully the U.S. doesn't have a colossal choke like 98 tomorrow either. But I digress. Yeah, you don't want to choke like uh, Robert Lewandowski in the box. Uh, Guillermo Ochoa, let's cue that up. He got his first goal the other day. No big deal. I don't care. I don't he care. He did. He did. I finally took that money on it. It, was, it wasn't It was as heavy as I'd like. It was only at plus 100, but it's law of averages. This dude is going to get a goal even though he hasn't really had that many World Cup games to do it in. But overall, my Thanksgiving was awesome. I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I may have had the best Thanksgiving in my entire life. And I've had 29 of them. 30? I've had 30 of them. 
Me and Kylie you just stayed broke my in brain Columbus. there by saying that. Well, I don't it's know why you would do that. You Actually, bastard. no. No, it's only 29. Wait, I don't know. But me and Kylie I, my got, brain's we, broken now. Sorry. Me and Kylie stayed in Columbus here. We've, we're going to be traveling a lot, especially up to the Cleveland area. So we were there the weekend before. Going to be up there the next two weekends or around the vicinity. So we got to stay home a little bit. Got some honey-baked ham. That's right. I got a honey-baked ham, loaded potatoes, mac and cheese, stuffing. Give me a cheesecake platter. Call to the day. Sat my fat ass on the couch from probably about 7 in the morning till about 8.30 at night. Nothing but football and football and food and a couple other extracurricular activities like some nice IPAs. Yeah, I started drinking a little bit earlier than I wanted, but dude, there might not be a better Thanksgiving. I love not, obviously I love not traveling. Shout out to the Karen's family for allowing her to stay home with me because much as I love going up there because her dad fucks a grill up. My goodness. It was just nice to relax and I have to travel, kick the feet up, stayed in, stayed in my underwear all day. And got to watch a got to watch a bunch of sports. It was great. I saw something the other day. I need your guys' thoughts on it. And we'll we'll actually move on from Thanksgiving. But it, it was my favorite Thanksgiving tweet I think I've ever read, where somebody tweeted, "Ham beats turkey handily in five games in a seven game series." Yep. Are we team ham here? Because I'm big team ham. Give me that honey glaze. Neither. Okay. Okay. Is it you don't you? like either at all? So what do you go for then? Let me tell you about the Clavin family Thanksgiving. Typically, it is either a ham or a chicken or a turkey because of tradition, quote unquote. As a tradition. And then it's like stuffing, sweet potatoes, and maybe like one other traditional Thanksgiving Thanksgiving meal. And then it's ribs and yeah. mac and cheese and whatever it could be pasta it's whatever it's basically we're going to do these like three traditional thanksgiving things and then you know me and my sisters decide what we really want to have at thanksgiving and see if it's feasible all right so i'm on board with the whole thanksgiving isn't that great ordeal but it is if you make it great based on what you're making so i say neither but if i got to choose it's probably uh, I want to say ham, but I think I can get more out of turkey leftovers. I know that's shocking. I know no. that's shocking, but I think I can get more out of turkey leftovers. And that's I had, why the, I I had the Hawaiian rolls. You can't fuck anything up with that turkey or ham. But oh my god, the ham, the ham, the rum ham. He do, he doesn't get that reference. Damn it. No, but I'm it's so okay. happy, so happy, David, that your family is on this progressive wave of Thanksgiving. If Turkey and stuffing and green bean casserole was so good, we'd have it more than once a year, period. It's not that good. Love the ribs idea. Make Thanksgiving great. Seriously, make it with good food, and I'm all about Thanksgiving. I'm just sorry that I have to sit around and pretend that we are, like, all happy celebrating pilgrims and Native Americans over turkey when it all it, – there's no good about it. It's all about football, and that's it. Football and make mm. yourself. This good isn't food. dry at all. Yeah, like thank you. Like I don't have to worry about my house catching on fire with these deep fried turkey videos. No, no. Get yes, Thanksgiving out of here. It's Christmas time. Merry Christmas. With that, let's get this. Could have been covered in the email section here. Let's get these games out of the way that no one wants to talk about or eat like it's turkey itself. We're just leaning right into that joke. First of that we had on here, the Miami Dolphins. 
embarrass the Houston Texans. Finally, I don't feel like we've actually seen this enough where a good team does what they're supposed to do against a weaker opponent this year. Shout out to all my people that took the team total of over 30 and a half for the Miami Dolphins. They were up 30 to nothing at halftime, but they get it done. And Tua also ends the game with more passing yards when he left at halftime than all the Houston Texans had total throughout the game. Miami's a wagon. You just said it. I, Mike McDaniel deserves so much credit because he did what NFL coaches don't do. And he pulled to about eight, nine minutes into the third quarter. The game was out of hand. You weren't playing for style points. It isn't college. Love it. Wish more coaches did it. Yeah, I, I got nothing really on this. Great team versus bad team result is what everyone expected. Chicago at New York Jets. Jets beat Chicago 31-10. It's a weird game for me because there's not a whole lot for me to take away with this one without Justin Fields playing. And it's Mike White playing a really bad defense. However, if White gives us 80% of that effort every game, the Jets will be wondering how much better this season would have been for them had they just given up on Zach Wilson from the start, from the offseason, from the get-go. Mike White has two games where he has thrown 300-plus yards and multiple touchdowns throughout his, what, young career of at least what we know with the New York Jets over the past year and a half. Zach Wilson has zero. Get this kid out of here. He's done. Finito on the Dunzo list. I'm just so done with it. But I am mad that we were robbed out of a Nathan Peterman game because there was talk and tweets saying Nathan Peterman was going to start I don't know what happened about that. Maybe Walkie fell us in. If not, I don't think anyone's going to really lose sleep over why uh, Peterman didn't start. I think they just thought Trevor Simeon is the better passer, which I guess is probably fair. But if you're a Chicago fan, just get the march. Just get the march. It'll be okay. You know what this season's about. It's about just figuring out what you have in fields and then get to the offseason, hopefully grow around him. But if you're in New York, good for you. This has got to be cloud nine right now. And I have to, you know me, I have to do it. Mike White yesterday, he looked the part of the franchise quarterback that they're looking for in rainy New Jersey, had the highest quarterback rating since, you guessed it, guys, Geno Smith in 2014. Atlanta went to Washington. That, And I got to say this. I don't remember a more disgusting seven and five team than this Washington football team. They are the Sean Taylor statues of seven and five teams. Oh, oh God. All right. Well, bad team versus bad team equals terribly quality football game. That's what this was. Again, I took nothing away from this other than maybe what, what Wally, you said, which is this is just, these are two disgusting football teams that I want nothing to do with. I broke my own rule from really the last time that I was on here saying how I gave up on Atlanta. Nope. I was rolling high in Atlanta. I threw a couple of units on them. I said, you know what? They have to cover because Washington has to lose eventually. Nope. What they do is they turn it over in the end zone for a potential game winning touchdown, or at least tying it. We all know how the extra points are going. I don't know about yesterday, but it was, they were acting crazy. This Washington team just keeps winning. And this Atlanta team is just taking a nice fall from grace after being in first place. And they just turn around since beating San Francisco, losing four of their last six. Heineke is that guy, though. You can't knock him and what he's doing and the energy that he's bringing in there. The Carolina Panthers continue the Russ does not know how to cook by stomping the Denver Broncos 23 to 10. That's a way closer scoreline than what 
if you were keeping up with it on Sunday, way closer than what we were thinking. Russ still has more toilets in his house than he has touchdowns on the season, as well as Carson Wentz has more touchdown passes than you, my guy. Carson Wentz hasn't played in like a month and a half. Oh, boy. Russell Wilson's committed career suicide this season, and I'm not going to lie to you guys. It's been a joy to watch, not only as a Raiders fan, but, Steven, I know that going back to the beginning of this and even before the podcast, I've been a big Russell Wilson is not the guy that he's portrayed to be for a long time. And naturally, I'm really reveling in this. But 2023, $107 million. 2024, $85 million. 2025, $49.6. 2026, $31.2. What is that number? That is Russell Wilson's dead cap. Welcome to hell, Denver. Yeah, Darnold played pretty mediocre, but Wilson somehow found a way to play much, much worse. As you outlined there, the Denver Broncos have a really serious problem at hand. Personally, I think they need to fire the coaching staff ASAP when the season ends. Obviously, I'd say get rid of Wilson, but to what you just said, you know, he'd hit him for $100 million in dead cap over the next couple of years. They need to find a coach that can get Russell Wilson into rhythm and at least make them a competitive football team. Because, I mean... I refuse to believe the drop-off is this hard from one year to the next, but I am also, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Pete Carroll was just that good with Russell Wilson and they need to find Denver needs to find a way to get a coach in there who can do similar things. It's not going to, he's not going to be elite, but God damn, you just need him to be a game manager that, that isn't holding the team back. Well, you're a fucking dirty dog. I saw that. I Nobody saw, saw I it can't... at home. It don't matter. The Kansas City Chiefs continue winning 26 to 10 over what was left of the Los Angeles Rams in that offense. It took a while for Kansas City to kind of get going in this, but once they did, they, they were never going to look back. And I, Pat Mahomes, MVP, I'm just going to say it. He's not getting enough hype because he's just not playing to the quote unquote standards of what we're used to seeing because of what his first MVP was. Go look at the stats. It's ridiculous. I was ready to crown it to Jalen, but you look at Jalen's numbers of an MVP potentially of him winning. Look at it, Lamar, Lamar Jackson's MVP year. Lamar's actually having a way better year that year than Jalen is now. So that's why I kind of want to give the nod. But one hill I'm ready to die on and continually to die on, Travis Kelsey's the best tight end ever. That's not super aggressive take. Uh, I'm I'm I like Travis Kelsey as the best receiving tight end ever. But if you're going five tool tight end, it's probably still Grant. It's close. It's close, but it Travis is. Kelsey's the best. He's a wide receiver playing tight end right now, but I don't think he's as good of as a blocker as Gronk was. Whatever. We'll get eventually we'll get into that discussion for a, a elongated period of time in a podcast. But for me, this game, and I, it's just a theme of our email section for me now. Extraordinarily good team versus extraordinarily bad team. Results to be expected, you know. Like I'm just glad to hear the Rams have been listening to the podcast, and you know the rumor has it is they're going to bench Stafford for the rest of the season. Hopefully, they keep Aaron Donald on the bench too. He has an ankle injury; they're tacking out his severity. Why play these guys right now? It makes no sense. The Sean McVay getting run over by a player yesterday signified it was like the perfect encapsulation of what this season was. Get our guy one of those guardian hats right away. As for the AFC, the Kansas City Chiefs are the team. They are going to host the playoffs again. Arrowhead is going to get the AFC through the AFC title game yet again, unless perhaps the Cincinnati Bengals 
make it three straight against Kansas City this next weekend. New Orleans went to San Francisco, where we have more injury news. Eliza Mitchell, he's out six to eight weeks with an MCL sprain. But Stop the 49ers, if you heard that before. Yeah, no kidding. It's the same knee, too. It's just out a to shame. Out to six to eight weeks for boom. It's just, you, you, you got, sometimes you just can't catch a break, and he's having one of those years. Niners, though, they do get it done. They weren't sexy by any stretch. But the Saints, you miss a field goal. You have two Alvin Kamara fumbles, including one at the one-yard line and a turnover of downs inside the Niners' five-yard line. It just proved too much in this one. See, I think what's not going to get said is that the Saints' defense did actually quite a bit to keep the 49ers in check. And, you know, Andy Dalton and Kamara failed to capitalize. And the result is kind of a stinker of a game and, and New Orleans failing to put points on the board. But New Orleans could have won this game in a heartbeat if they just converted and they didn't turn the ball over that that as simple as that just convert your plays don't turn the ball over and obviously it's more simple said than than done but I don't know that's that's a game lost by the Saints not won by the the Niners for me I think it almost looks like a classic win as Jimmy as Jimmy G is your starter right this guy like this defense is scary third straight game that they have not given up a point in the second half but those this also goes back this is six straight quarters they have not allowed a point I don't care who you're playing. That is that is very, very impressive, but not as impressive as Jimmy G tying Steve Young's record for most wins in his first 59 career starts with the San Francisco 49ers. Oh, by the way, that also is beating the 37 of Joe Montana that Steve Young had beat. I'm just saying. Quarterback wins is definitely a good stat. <laughs> With that, that's going to wrap us up with our email section here. Let's get right into our Week 11 recap of some of the games that we stuck out or at least had some really good talking points about. Before we get into the first game here on the Thanksgiving slate, we want you to know that this Week 12 recap is brought to you by Abby Turner Creative, your one-stop shop marketing agency specializing in branding, high-end photography, fashion, and more, especially if you're around our age where it feels like there's college graduations, engagement, weddings, baby pictures, you name it. Feels like they're happening every damn weekend. Abby Turner Creative is the only way to go. Check her out for yourself at abbyturnerphoto.com. That's Abby, A-B-B-E-Y, or on her Instagram, saw Dad and Sapphire. Again, abbyturnerphoto.com. Turkey Day, first game of the day that started us off here. The Buffalo Bills squeak out a win against the Detroit Lions. Nice cover at that plus nine and a half. I know I, know I wasn't here to have it on there, but I want a nice little uh, parlay. Prop parlay with that in it. That's what got my weekend started. Boys, I'll toss it to you first, Wally. What's wrong with Josh Allen? There. Let's just say it. We're all thinking it. You just say what we're all thinking, Wally. Well, he's been anything but to his standard that we're kind of accustomed to the last couple of years, this last month or so. And we all know the reason. We're just afraid to say it. It's the elbow. He shouldn't have played as soon as the injury happened because this is a team with Super Bowl aspirations. It's not a team that you're willing to go out with a Case Keenum of sorts for two, three weeks and let Josh Allen get healthy. It's very frustrating that they didn't do that. And now the Bills are really in a interesting position because they aren't the same team right now. Josh Allen leads the league in interceptions, including I want to say he's thrown seven or eight on the 30-yard line or in of their opponents. You just simply can't do this. They're letting teams hang around that have no business hanging around and simply I think that this was a alliance game that 
you're excited if you're a Lions fan because you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But there are still question marks about this staff. And I love Dan Campbell. We all do. This is a very pro Dan Campbell podcast. However, he has had several times this season in late game situations where he has not managed the clock well and has had very questionable play calling. I understand he's not calling the plays, but as a head coach, you have the ability to say, hey, guys, this is a we're going for it situation. And what I bring up is at the end of that game, with about 33, 34 seconds left or so, the Lions had a ball or a third and one on the 33 of Buffalo. And they decided to take a shot deep. And I know if Jared Goff hits the throw, we're having a very different conversation. But why are you taking a shot there when you have time to move down the field? And when you do take the shot, how do you like settle for a 50-yard field goal where you know you're going to hand the ball back to Buffalo with 30 seconds? And we know what they're capable of. I was very frustrated because I thought that this was going to be the game that we're going to point to and say the Lions have arrived. If they win this game, they could legitimately make the NFC's a wild card. Instead, you're kind of wondering what if. And credit, I guess, to Buffalo, they did get it done. This is a random weird stat, and we'll get back to the game at hand. I want to hear you guys' thoughts on Josh Allen and the Lions as a whole, too. But this Thanksgiving and Lions thing is getting weird. They haven't won since 2016. And then before that, they had a four-game winning streak. And before the four-game winning streak, they lost nine straight. This team is so streaky on Thanksgiving. It's You just kind of have to look at these trends. And I'm just getting used to the Lions letting us down while we're waiting for our food on Thanksgiving morning. I mean, that's a shocking statistic. But I don't know. This game was a lot for me. I'm starting to put the Bills on like a playoffs upset watch. They went from clear Super Bowl favorite to – me doubting if they can win a playoff game. And it's solely because Josh Allen has put up four or five consecutive weeks of just straight bad football. He's turning the ball over a lot. He's throwing it inaccurately. The only efficient thing he's doing is running the football. And for me, it it kind of exposes the bills because their entire offense runs through him, like the entire offense. And same thing goes for Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, but I have to imagine if Pat Mahomes has an elbow injury, the Chiefs are probably taking the L's in the middle of the season and letting him rest. If Josh Allen's going to have an elbow injury affect his play, the Bills need to not roll him out there. Like, that's that's your guy for the next 15 years. You know, I, I get Super Bowl aspirations with the team you have now, but what are we doing? The best case is you win some games and he gets healed in like eight weeks just in time for the playoffs. The worst case is he damages his throwing elbow. That's a worst case scenario. I'm really not trying to play out as a a franchise. Even though they're winning games with him, it's in spite of him right now. That's kind of a problem. Like, I, I think I'd rather roll a game manager out there and see what happens for a week just to give him some rest. As for the Lions, I can't say it enough. This team's going to be really exciting going into the offseason. They're competing against great teams. They're making it fun. They aren't going to get over the hill until they get some more talent on the roster, but they have a plethora of picks to do it next year. My one takeaway from this game specifically, and, and Wally, it was to your point, is the coaching staff did an absolute horrific job of managing their timeouts in the final stretch. 
it was like they were totally oblivious to what what was going on in the game that needs to be fixed and it's not just them it, probably 85 percent of the coaching staffs in the nfl are worse than your average madden player at managing timeouts in in the fourth quarter and i'll never understand that it'll just i will never understand that but that needs to be fixed right away because i was watching that game there are two games i screamed at my t- tv or at least like internally i was like screaming inside my head and like this was one game like Fucking call a timeout. What are we doing? Call a timeout. Why are we like, what's happening here? We'll get into your game too. Cause there's, we're going to have more of that, both the bucks and the Browns with that. But Steven, I want to ask you, first of all, we'll get your takes on the game, but I don't want to be this guy. Cause I know I've almost got a stamp as a Josh Allen hater. Do we think this is a hundred percent the arm or do you think that there's something else boiling underneath the surface with Josh Allen? You can see it on throws that it's still there, right? I mean, Sam Darnold can throw a dime. He did it to DJ Moore. It's almost like that, but then he's just throwing ducks. He's missing simple passes that we've seen him go. And and I'm completely on board with with what David said. Yeah, you're surviving with his legs. You want that dude to get tackled right now? I don't even care if it's just a little push out of bounds. That's a lot. You don't want that guy to get touched. Like, you need to. But that's a double-edged sword, Um to kind of piggyback off David's take, right? It's like, yeah, we'll sit him down, win some. You either sit him, you miss the playoffs, and maybe you miss that one, you know, maybe this is your best window right now, right? Are they going to take that chance? No, they want to get in. They're they're so – I think that their ego is getting ahead of, of their brain right now, right? They need They just need to go to Kansas City and beat them this year or it's never going to happen, right? I think they need to get that mindset out of there. You're only going to be hurting your player, and I get it. You want it. I don't think anyone's beating the Chiefs this year, man. I completely agree. First of all, going to Kansas City is already a monumental ask. But what we've kind of neglected now is that they might also have to go to a place like Miami instead of hosting Miami. And I don't know if there's a bigger falloff in in terms of where the game plays and the importance of it. Because I think Arrowhead was, without a doubt, you don't want to go there. But if you had another one, the Bills are built to beat Miami and Buffalo. They're not built to beat Miami in Miami, especially the way that offense is clicking now and the way the Bills offense isn't. Are we at the point, David, where we have to hold up our hand and say, I think I'm wrong. I'm with you, Steven. It might be a Dolphins AFC East. Uh, man, I'm still waiting. to. I, I, it's like a let this one play out. The Dolphins are clicking right now, but – Man, if Josh Allen gets it back together, I'm back on the Bills bandwagon. I just – it's tough to say. It, it really is for me. It's tough to say. I should have done research before asking this, but does anybody know the who has a tiebreaker if, if, big if, Buffalo beats Miami in Buffalo and they end up with the same record? Does anybody have an idea? No, because the remaining what? It's week – we're going into week 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. Six of the next weeks, they have four divisional games. So, no, there's not a clear tiebreaker right now because that's where it will go in is, a, I believe, head-to-head, and then it goes into the divisional matchups. So, Dude, right it's, now – It's Miami. Yeah, because they, they've already – what? They beat the Jets. No, what? Miami's 2-1 two and two and one in the division. Buffalo's 0-2. Oh Buffalo has to win out their division to basically – beat out the Dolphins if they end up with the same record. Wow, and the Dolphins and will beat the Jets, you'd imagine. And where's that next Bills-Dolphins game, too? Is that in Miami or is it in Buffalo? 
Let me look. That's in Buffalo. Miami. In Buffalo. Tim Buffalo the winner. That's it was a, that that's weird a game. game. Yeah. Like where Miami had like 200 some odd fewer yards in Buffalo, but Ken Dorsey had the breakdown in the, the coaching booth because the Bills did everything they wanted in that game. They just, when they had to score, either Josh Allen turnovers or Miami got a clutch stop when they needed to. And it's it's lending me to, I'm I'm very close to almost being double wrong because I'm going to jump on your side, Stephen, just fast enough to take the Dolphins to the complete cellar with me. So I apologize because I think I'm with you. About time. Hey, there's enough room in this ocean, baby. Fins up. One thing David didn't bring up here, week 18, Bill Belichick. It doesn't matter if the Pats are fighting for a playoff spot, already done. You know Billy, sorry, Bill Belly is going to come and try to disrupt anyone's dreams. So they have a miss Thursday as well. They end the season with them, was sprinkled in with another Miami and a New York team who actually has a competent quarterback who they didn't have playing when they beat them originally. So things could be looking aren't really looking too good in Buffalo as of right now. I want to say the sky is falling, but you're married to the idea of playing Josh Allen now. That window of letting him rest is long gone because, like David said, you have to win out the division, right? And that's not even promising anything. Or win out the rest of your divisional games, excuse me. If you win out the divisional games, best case scenario, obviously, you take the East. We call it a day. At least get one game in Buffalo, you know, maybe two, depending on what the seeds are. Or you take the chance – get a second wild card spot, but who knows what the Jets are going to do over the last half of the season, last quarter of the season here with Mike White, maybe Joe Flacco gets put in there. We don't know. So the Bills back are against the wall and they have no other choice, but to play Josh Allen, unless that dude's throwing arm is just off his body, just detached. And we were this close from Jared Goff hitting that. I think it might've been Amon Ross St. Brown at like the 10 yard line with 30 seconds left. And then we're having a conversation about, are the Bills possibly a team that might miss the playoffs? If we look at it right now, the Bills have the have the five seed. They drop to seven to four. All of a sudden, they're in the seventh spot with New England right behind them. And the Jets are above them, Miami's, and it's ridiculous. And one last thing before we go, two last things. One, Vaughn Miller leaving this game early with a knee injury. Luckily, no ACL. I, I want to say it's something around the meniscus, not an MCL, because MCL was Elijah Mitchell. Second thing, if you're going to take a shot on third and one, that is a play that you draw up when you go for it on fourth down. 100%. What the fuck are we doing? Amen. The second Thanksgiving Day game, we had the New York Giants with a backdoor cover. I can't get over this. And if it makes you feel better, and we'll get into it next time, I'll, uh, I'll tell you something that makes you feel better on the next game here. Cowboys win 28 to 20. The Cowboys are just proving that they can still own the Giants. It doesn't matter. The scoreline makes the game seem like it's way closer than it actually was, but they had a 45 seconds left. They scored a touchdown, something like that. New York is out three starters on the offensive line, four offensive linemen in total, and all four of them were starters at one point, but three primary starters. Micah Parsons, thank you for the easy sack money. My goodness. But this game proves how bad this New York Giants team needs, needs a passing game. How one-dimensional can you be with saying we know there's a difference of knowing how one-dimensional a team is, but then shutting out that player and being like, holy sh-, you're like half a dimension right now in this offense because you just can't get it done. Held the three and eleven on third down, 0-2 on fourth down. So collectively three and thirteen on downs that really, really matter. We might start seeing it unravel here in New York. 
unfortunately, I think you might be right. And it feels like the world is against the Giants this year where nobody wants to put any respect on the New York Giants. I love Dayball. I just think that they got here a little early. I'll talk about another team later that I also think got here a little early this year. But that's should be encouraging, if anything, if you're a Giants fan, that they're able to do this with as many holes that they do have. But I have to take a selfish Wally approach here for a second. You hinted at it. I have to be honest so the people at home can understand. David texts me and Steven in a group chat about halftime. He goes, I guess we're just not supposed to win bets anymore, Wally. I'm like, you know what, David? No. Like, there's time in this game. I feel it. Like, you could feel it. I'm like, the Giants don't deserve to be on the field with the Cowboys. What do the Cowboys do? They score three straight touchdown drives to start the second half. They're up 15. They have a 46-yard field goal with under two minutes left, which effectively ices the game. During the NFL, it's 2022. We don't miss 46-yard field goals anymore. We don't do it. Instead, he pushes it wide right, and I just immediately, oh, God, like, no, this can't this can't physically happen. And like every NFL two-minute drill ever, it doesn't matter if one of the three of us are quarterbacks. For some reason, you cannot stop the NFL two-minute drill. They go down and you get that score with, like, 10 seconds left. I was dead inside. Hand up, I was wrong. I was, but I wasn't wrong. And that's what I had. I'm so frustrated. These are the bets that you hate so much. And it just felt like this is an embodiment of my betting all season. I felt like I did the homework so well. It worked out almost exactly how I thought the game would. And you just get this chicken dick, like fucked over at the end. I'm whatever. I, I I am, this one really rattled me. I won't even lie. And then, of course, you had the freaking New England game later, which we'll get into with the catch, not a catch. It turned a, what could have been an awesome betting day into yet another loser. I am broken. I was actually laughing at the backdoor cover, even though we had both lost. And I, <laughs> I was laughing because I was just like, as the drive started, you literally said, this is going to be the, the most disrespectful backdoor cover. <laughs> and I, I was laughing at my girlfriend's uh, mom's house because I like, I'm just like watching this game. Like, damn, I really, we really can't bet on anything without losing. Like it, it is so outrageous, but we're willing no, I, them to lose, David. We are willing teams to lose because we want them to win. I feel I know. I know. It's like we speak it into stone. Whatever we want to happen, the opposite happens. But uh, no, so the one – my my takeaway from this game is the same stuff that, that I've been saying week after week. This Cowboys defense is elite. Demarcus Lawrence and Michael Parsons combined for 11 pressures. Parsons ended up with two sacks, but Lawrence had seven of those 11 pressures. This D-line is elite when healthy. This defense defines the Cowboys, and, man, they're going to be a tough playoff team. That's going to be a tough team to beat in a playoff environment. On the flip side of the football, the Giants continue to live or die by the run game, and for the last couple weeks, it's been die by the run game that they can't get going. They're basically the NFC version of the Tennessee Titans. But with that, let's get into the game you mentioned before. New England at Minnesota. Minnesota wins 33-26. to Kirk Cousins, Justin Jefferson dominating in prime time. That was a surprising result to me because I always bet a bet, a bet against Kirk Cousins in prime time. 
he pulled it out of his, you know, out of he pulled up his bootstraps and and finally played well outside of the uh, interception he had. But you know, on the other side of the ball, Mac Jones actually played shockingly well too. I don't know. Minnesota is too much to overcome for that Patriots team. I'm still a Minnesota doubter. Don't get me wrong. I don't think this team is is who they'll end up being record wise at the end of the season. But they responded extremely well after getting their faces beaten in by the Cowboys the week before. It was a it was a sad day because I only threw a couple prop bets on this last one. I threw money on Kirk Cousins one interception, Kirk Cousins two interceptions, and Kirk Cousins three interceptions. So after that first one, I was like, oh, baby, I know this man. And then he decides just to go off. So it's nice to have Kirk Cousins, you know, finally have a game. You can even see Kevin O'Connell in the locker room kind of hinting at that. He goes, yeah, I can't play in primetime, three touchdowns, yada, yada, yada. Only took you 27 times. He didn't say that, but that's just me dogging him. But law of averages, Kirk Cousins was going to have one of these games, and we're fucked for not doing it. 299, three touchdowns, early interception, but Minnesota's D. Had his back there. They, I think they had a pick six themselves, so at least a touchdown here. So Justin Jefferson is him, though. It's just easy. That dude breaks Randy Moss's record for the most receiving yards through a wide receiver's first three seasons, and there's six games left. That is, as Wally likes to put it, which I haven't heard a, a lot of this, uh, this year on the podcast, but that is banana lands to me. So I love it, but this is my thing I want. Kirk Cousins finally gets that win in primetime, right? Is this changing your perspective on what you think about the worst 7-1, 6-1 team a couple of weeks ago? Maybe they can get something done here. Now they got the primetime monkey off their back. Maybe they can kind of start rolling because they are only one game behind Philadelphia for that number one seed in the NFC. It is important to remember they lost a head-to-head. So it feels like they're actually two. So one and a half. Yeah, and I think that the Vikings, they're one of those weird teams. It's a special year, right? When you get a year like this, it kind of has this fairy tale feel to it where if they can get a win, even if they're a two-seed, if they can get a home playoff win to open up that wild card round, I think that maybe it clicks that, yes, we can do this, but it's going to come down to that. I could, similar to what David said, I can either see them losing that first wild card game, or I can also in a wide open NFC see them continuing this ridiculous way of theirs of winning one possession games. They've been the inverse Raiders this year, where every time you look, they're winning a game by three, four, five. This week was seven. And even the calls are going the right way for them. The Hunter Henry touchdown that wasn't had Pittsburgh laughing over hysterically because they remember the Jesse James touchdown that was disallowed four or five years ago that had playoff implications and the Patriots got a taste of their own medicine with that. I, I will say that I was surprised, pleasantly surprised with Kirk Cousins in prime time. You know, what's there it's in there. He's a good NFL quarterback and it's, there's just some weird disconnect in these prime time games. And who knows, maybe this is a fluke. We have seen new England kind of been taken advantage of at times this year against Chicago, for instance, this Minnesota game. But then we also see them against Detroit, completely shut down teams. I don't know what to make of it. I, I'm inclined to just kind of throw this away as a weird Thanksgiving day, and we'll reevaluate in a week. But again, man, Minnesota, they just keep finding ways to do it. And at some point, they might talk me into it, David. I, I don't know. Do you, Are you getting one over at all? 
No, still not getting one over. I, I really, I'm like, I'm like out on the Vikings are that team that, that makes you believe and will just break your heart in the end. And you know what? I, I, I've, I've seen enough of it. Packers fans should actually know that feeling really fucking well. And I, I hate to say that Steven, but like it, it, it's you looked kind of, of the eyes when you said it. you, you meant yeah, it. I, I meant it, but I don't know, man. I just like, I don't believe in this team. Nothing about this team, the record, the stats, everything says great football team. My brain says this team is going to just disappoint me if I get even remotely excited for them. It's a, a, a team. I think you have to trust your gut on David. You know that plenty well in your real team, the Cleveland Browns, they surprised everybody because they didn't lose a game that they felt like they were destined to. And this is where I imagine you were screaming at your television. I'll throw it over to you. There's a couple questionable decisions on the Brown side, but I want to start with Todd Bowles and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Removing yourself from the equation, these are two faceless teams. How do you have the greatest quarterback of all time with 30 seconds left, and you refuse to call timeouts until there are eight seconds left and what was his reason? Because he was worried Tom Brady was going to throw an interception. That is damning as a head coach. I don't care. Tom Brady, we know. he. It looks like he's taking a slight step back. Yes, the offensive line is probably the worst he's ever played with. And Tristan Wirfs, thank God for him. He's only going to be out three to four weeks. People thought at first it was a season-ending injury. And at that point, the season's over for the Bucs if it was. They avoid that. They'll trade the loss for that. But I just couldn't get over that. We'll get into your Brown side in a second. But Tampa Bay, let's look at it. You watched this game, I'm sure. Was it like this throughout the game? Were there moments where it felt like the, the Bucs should have just ran away with this as a, a a team that you would expect to win? What was your thoughts overall? I don't – this this game, the whole week's theme of football was shock and awe in the NFL – like teams that should have never had a chance, uh, Raiders and Browns. I'm not, you know, rise of the three and seven teams, baby. Yeah, somehow came on top in in overtime. Tampa Bay. I mean, Tom Brady didn't look good. He didn't look good, and you know, I'm not going to say it's him because I've been on the train of it's the coaching a lot this season, and I truly believe it is for guys with as much talent and and experience, especially with Tom Brady. Um, I just like hard for me to say that it's him that's just having this significant decline. Part of me thinks it's Bulls. Just when you think the Bucs are going to make a run, they lose to a god-awful Cleveland team. I'm not sure what to think about Tampa at this point. Stay far away from them in the gambling world. That's kind of where I'm I'm at right now. They should have never lost this game. There is no reason they should have lost this game to Cleveland. That being said, getting into the Browns, if unless you want to talk more Tampa. No, no, absolutely not. Go ahead. Let's let's hear uh, a hopefully a positive Browns recap for a change. Kind of a no. Browns defense, specifically the secondary, showed up and played hard. Emerson Jr. looks like a fucking stud. And you know what? He had some rough, rough weeks earlier in this season. Coming he didn't in. give up a, a catch yesterday, did he? No, I don't think so. And, and I mean, he locked down. I mean, that's what they brought him in to do is to cover big physical receivers. 
um, as a cornerback. And, and unfortunately, you know, earlier in the season, coming in as a, a rookie, basically being forced in by injuries, he looked bad early on in the season. But this game kind of shows you what the Browns intended him to be after more development. It also showed me what the Browns can be if they got defensive tackles and D-line depth, which they'll be a force if Andrew Barry gets it done in the offseason. On offense, though, I have held back for so long. I've, I've thrown in little corpse in our fantasy football group, and I'm not going to name names. But, buddy, David Njoku deserves some fucking flowers because I remember having to – when he was drafted, he was like a 19- or 18-year-old raw, physically demanding rookie. He wasn't polished at anything, but you could see the talent. And I remember having to intensely defend him because he had three drops in a season that everyone remembered as like a 19 or 20 year old tight end. But everyone wanted to just sweep Jarvis Landry drops under the table and pretend like everything was in Joku's fault. And I remember having to just fucking intensely defend him as the guy of the future at tight end for the Browns. Boy, oh boy, did he come through with a one-handed freakazoid catch in the end zone to get them into overtime. And boy, I love that man. Wasn't that um, fourth down and 10 as well? Yeah, that was that was for the game. That was for, I mean, God, that was for everything. Like, I, I just want to like puff out my shoulders and be like, I was right. You know, <laughs> like I like this guy is is good and he's gonna get better and better and better. The guy's still. I think 23 years old. Like we have a we have a long way to go before we see what Njoku can really be at, as a top talent. But the one thing, and and you mentioned earlier that fucking fries my ass about this game is that the Browns on the fucking goal line in overtime with a minute left continue to run fucking plays. I was quite literally in my house screaming at my goddamn television, wondering why the fuck. We were not kicking the football to end the game. That is a like 23 yard attempt. I don't care if it's, if there's 15 inches of snow on the ground, if you don't trust your kicker to knock it in from 20, 20, from 30 yards or closer, well, just caught up. Like why even have a kicker on the roster? Buddy, I was hitting that, that distance of field goals in the seventh grade. I literally won the kicking job because I could kick an extra point as a seventh grade fat guy playing center. What the fuck? I, I know it panned out for us, but what the fuck are we doing? It's a fucking kick the ball in and win the game. Why are we running plays? Why are we risking fumbles? It fries me. Like, it's just stupid decision-making. That's all it is. It's stupid decision-making, and I, I just can't handle it. It's like one of my – I was literally screaming. I texted you guys. I was texting our fantasy football group. I'm like, somebody please explain to me why the fuck we don't just line up the field goal and win the game here. As if the Bills-Vikings game didn't just happen. Right. It wasn't even a 23-yard kick. I think it would have been like a 19 or a 20-yard kick. And it's one thing, and this is an excuse. It, it, you, shouldn't, you should kick the field goal no matter what. But when you're the Cleveland Browns, and it seems like when things are going right, something just has to go wrong. I was watching that game, and I was kind of giggling with all respect to you Cleveland fans, I'm like, they're going to fumble this ball at the end zone. Like, you just know it's going to happen. <laughs> like, you just know that this is going to be a tie game because the Browns insist on not winning. 
I mean, there were a lot of positives, though. You brought up David Njoku, and thank God we're on the right side of history with that. He's Darren Waller meets Mark Andrews. Like, he's a great receiving tight end, and something we never thought was going to happen is he's a good blocker, too. I didn't think there was a snowball chance in hell he'd be a good blocker. He was too small. He had too like slight of a frame. He's been great. So he's going to be one of the best tight ends in football. Like he's a fringe top five guy. And when people were upset with that contract, boy, does it feel good now because that is a deal. And he's going to be a very good tight end for a very long time in this league. Steven, any takeaways from this game at all? I know David really just kind of, summed up everything for us sir that's what's nice when we have when you have uh you know fans of different teams or we can just kind of take over no i think i think david hit the nail on the head here how could you not be just fuming and like to my point what's not what's not make it seem like the minnesota bills game didn't just fucking happen where this fumble could go down and then just the i you know i was i was going on twitter waiting for everybody to be mad that uh nick chubb scored even though even though it would have effectively ended the game be like oh because three weeks ago they were bitching about how he was scoring or a while ago against the New York Jets, what, week two or week three. So it's funny how that kind of comes full circle there. But, no, I was just surprised. Kudos to the Browns, right? Way to spoil, uh, you know, at Thanksgiving. Not that Tom Brady has a family really to celebrate anymore. But it's nice that – That's brutal. It's nice that – Just put uh, a shotgun you know, in his mouth next time. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, like to, I like him to look me in the eyes while he, while he uh, dies a slow, slow, painful death. But – that's surprising i was i was very high on the buccaneers because you guys know how it was when david was kind of interviewing me here a little bit about maybe a a a hot not so hot take or prediction that you have and it was the buccaneers going on a large winning streak and surprised you guys can hear me talk with my foot in my mouth right now because man was i fucking wrong but no you did what you had to do it finally felt like everything outside of how the game ended and, and maybe some of the decisions on david's side is it, it felt like a complete team win that hasn't really happened in Cleveland this year, right? There's always something wrong with maybe mostly the secondary getting broken down. Maybe they can't stop the run on the defense, or maybe it's a, a damn special teams error. The kicker finally misses a field goal after you guys are ready to crown him the best kicker all time in Cleveland week one. Now you're ready to fucking string, you know, string him by his ball sack right off the bridge where the guardians are at. So it's nice. As a resident Brown fan, he nails everything, and I don't, we don't need to repeat ourselves like it's a word count for a college essay on here. How about them brownies, baby? Last question, David, and we'll move on. I guess it's a two-parter, so good job, Wally. You're you're doing great. Jacoby Brissett, first of all, what is his grade we're giving him in a very weird job in relief this year? And number two, where is the excitement level in Cleveland going into this next week where – Deshaun Watson's getting a start against Houston. And naturally, it's a very unique situation. What, what would you say the overall excitement level's at? So first part, Brissett. I would give him an A if it weren't for the every chance he had to make a comeback and win the game. He failed. I give him a B. I mean, he was he was great as what you expected him to be for, for 12 weeks of the season. I just like we needed better in certain weeks and he wasn't that guy. Um, no matter how much I shit on him, that he gets a B for what he did this year in Cleveland for me. I think that's uh, a fair as, grade. As far as excited for Watson, I think the whole fan base is excited to see what we have in Deshaun Watson. You know, am I excited to see if the offense opens up more with Watson? Absolutely. Am I thrilled to have to root for this guy? Absolutely not. Do I think the Browns magically get better with him? 
Absolutely not. There's so many holes on the defense still. I don't care what we did against Tampa Bay. If Barry fixed those holes this offseason, I'll hype myself up again next year for the Browns. But Deshaun Watson doesn't fix the problems of the Cleveland Browns right now. He just makes them slightly better. And if we had him the whole season, we'd probably win three more games and we're in the playoff hunt. But we're not a Super Bowl contender. This team, maybe we can go on a little bit of a winning streak because we got the hardest part of our schedule remaining out of the way. Maybe we can do it, but I'm not. I'm these next five. uh, What is it? No, the next six weeks. I'm mostly just looking for how bad the rust is from not playing for three years. I'm mostly looking for what the offense looks like under Watson. Is is he the same elite quarterback we saw three years ago? Is it a totally different world? Am I in Denver Broncos hell where we paid this guy guaranteed money and he sucks? That's what I fear. And I'm mostly just excited to see what he looks like in this first week back. Texans money line this week. I'm sorry. It just feels right. Never. We're not Texans that bad. Money line without Davis oh, Mills starting that. either. But let's, Kyle Allen season. Kyle Allen season. Jesus. Let's hop on I-71 and go down south here to Cincinnati. I guess keep going. You can go all the way down to Knoxville or not even Na- Nashville, I should say. The Bengals. Dude, we got there. We got there, Nian. I was thinking about the Tennessee Volunteers. Brain's still a little Go devastated balls, about college. But anyways, the Bengals, they beat the Titans 20-16. to 16, And it really was kind of a unique matchup. I didn't realize until I was watching this game yesterday, both of these teams started 0-2. And after the Bengals win, they've both gone 7-2 and in the last nine games. This game meant nothing to Tennessee. They have the South on ice. The Bengals on the flip, though. This was a must win. And that's weird to say until you look at their schedule. They're now seven and four, mind you, in a very competitive AFC. But this is their schedule coming up. Kansas City at home. I know they've beaten them two straight, but it's the Kansas City Chiefs. Then you have Cleveland at home, who Joe Burrow and Zach Taylor are allergic to beating. Then you have a very difficult two-week stretch going on the road at Tampa Bay. And we understand that they're not what they used to be, but it's still a tough game, a game you should win, but it's difficult. Then you go to Foxborough. Who knows what the weather's going to look like? That's going to be that week after Christmas. And then they might both be playing for a wild card spot in that game as well. Then you finish the year with Buffalo at home, who all of a sudden might need to be playing pretty hard in that game and Baltimore at home. That is about as difficult a six-week a stretch to end the season as you'll find in the NFL. And the only thing you can say is, first of all, thank God Jamar Chase is almost back. And two, if you are the Bengals and you do make the playoffs, no one on earth is ever going to wonder if you earned it. You are going to be going into that playoff stretch very battle-tested. What were main takeaways from this? Is this the Bengals finally starting to really click? Or maybe Tennessee is not who we really thought they were pretty much completely shut down in this game. And I wonder why, because Derrick Henry didn't do jack shit, but one screen pass. Well, that was my biggest takeaway from this game is just how fantastic the Bengals front seven played. Holding Derrick Henry to 38 yards on 17 carries is elite. My biggest concern 
for the Bengals offense remains the inefficiency of the run game and inability to get it going in most games this year. I understand Joe Mixon was out, but 3.4 yards per carry is is still not good enough even for a backup. On the defensive side of the ball, the Bengals played phenomenal. They played fuck you football. Mike Hilton was locked down with five defensive stops, four of which, by the way, were in the were run stops on a guy who's 60 pounds heavier than him. That is elite. That is phenomenal. As for the Titans, the team rides with Derrick Henry. If he can't get it going, this team is going to lose. But if he does, they're going to put themselves in a position to win. And that's, you know, I've said it for the last couple of weeks. They ride with Derrick Henry, and if he can get it going, they're going to win. But the Bengals just halted that, and we're way too much to overcome. The Bengals offensive line, this is a unit that we we were here scratching our head a few weeks ago saying, did they really get better or are they arguably worse here? I mean, this is a team that you felt – or a unit that was allowing almost four to five sacks per game. They've had three the past two weeks. And I want to say that they didn't even allow a sack in the in the week before the Pittsburgh Steelers, but they're playing better, which is obviously going to equate to this offense clicking a little bit. Samante Pirine. This fucking dude loves to ball when Joe Mixon is not in the lineup. And even when Joe Mixon is in the lineup and they always have that game where Joe Mixon's out, Samaji Pirine balls, then they start splitting the carries up here a little bit. So maybe they can get a two-headed running monster going here. But, yeah, anytime you can stop Derrick Henry, yeah, he had over 100 yards. You want to know why? You take that screen pass out of the first quarter, he has done nothing that entire game. This team keeps getting, you know, especially on the offensive side, it feels like they're always hurt. Traylon Brooks can't. You know, he's he's dropped a couple big passes here. But Cincinnati stays the king of beating teams back-to-back. What have you what have you seen a team consistently do this that wasn't quarterbacked by Tom Brady? Like, I, you beat the Chiefs twice. You're beating the Titans twice. You're beating all these people, except for the Cleveland Browns, twice that you shouldn't be able to. What are you saying, Waller? You're 100% right. Joe Burrow is really taking even another step this year because we have seen offensive line, yeah, it's gotten better. But Jonah Williams, he's been getting absolutely abused online since that Browns game. He looked terrible that following week against Carolina, and you almost wondered if he was going to get pulled. And how was he answered? He had his best two PFF grades of the year against Pittsburgh and this week against uh, Tennessee as well. There's at least reason to be excited about this offense. Again, you get Jamar Chase back. David, you talked about the run D and what they did. I mean, it looked like January 2022 again. And this is why this team is special. When they have Logan Wilson, when they have Pratt playing like this, their front seven is very, very good. And you even saw guys like Eli Apple step up because when you have Mike Hilton playing at that high of a level, it really does allow you to kind of help Eli Apple. And that defense, I know that Tennessee leaves a little bit to be desired at times, but the defense was exceptional. My last note, and I'm good to move on, We rarely talk about punters on this show. Kevin Huber, for the Bengals, got the job over Drew Chrisman in preseason. Made no sense when you watch. It's one of the very rare position battles you truly get a feel by watching the games. Because punter, I mean, it's the same. Preseason or not, it's the same job. And Drew Chrisman has the second highest average of punt. He's got eight so far. Over 52 yards, though, in the entire NFL. Kevin Huber is, it's like a 10-yard difference. This is a huge thing at this time of year. If you have a weapon that can flip the field the way so many of these punters can now, it does a world of favors for you. 
So Drew Chrisman, keep your eye out for him. He's the next really, really good punter, it feels like, in the NFL. And we also haven't even talked about this. Jamar Chase is coming back. They haven't even had him for the last few games. You have a team that is barely allowing any second half points here. I know, I know when they played the Atlanta Falcons, there was something like they hadn't allowed a third quarter score or a touchdown in like six weeks leading up. I mean, you hold Tennessee to two field goals. This was a passing unit that looked led by Ryan Tannehill that looked like he was a fucking Hall of Famer against Green Bay the, the previous Thursday. And he just wasn't able to get it done here. Jamar Chase is coming back and back to the trench talk, right? Kansas City. Need to have a front seven against there. They got some pass rushers as well. Cleveland, they have a pretty solid pass rusher, Miles Garrett, if you've ever heard of him before. Jadavion Clowney, when he decides he wants to play football, is a hell of a pass rush. Tampa Bay, we all know what that line is going to do, that D-line, and we all know how injured their offensive line is. New England, all they have is just the NFL's leading sack. Why am I, why am I blanking on it? Uh, Matt Judon, the leading guy in the sacks right now. That's all. Buffalo, and we'll see how Von Miller's looking. Baltimore, it's week 17 that or week 18. That game's always going to come down to it. So hopefully this trend that David was saying on the defensive side and something, you know, all of us are always looking at on the offensive side of the ball, those trenches, because if you guys don't know, this is a boys in the trench podcast. The Bengals are going to be winning these games. And all of a sudden, I don't think that they're not going to be as magical as they were last year because they just came out of the blue, but man, oh man, they're cooking up and they're getting hot at the right time and getting pieces back together at the right time. But uh Ted Karras. Oh, I feel like I always Ted Karras, you got it. Butchered that name. How about his send-off to the Tennessee Titans fans? Hey Tennessee, up yours, fuck you, or, or up yours, Tennessee, fuck you. Oh my god, I love it. Wally, you brought up special teams, and this is the perfect transition to the next game because the next game is a team that had one of the best special teams units in the NFL for like 10 years in Seabass and who was it? Shane Leckler. Was that Shane? Was oh yeah. You'd got it there too. Yeah. Now AJ Cole, baby. He's great as well. So, you know, let's, let's use that as a perfect opportunity to transition into Vegas, shocking Seattle 40 to 34 in overtime. And before I just hand it off to you, Wally, I just have to say, nobody has ever taken not getting extended to heart more than Josh Jacobs. I mean, he's having the best year of his career. He's the Reeves and the Raiders won this one. 33 carries for 232 touchdowns, including the 86-yard walk-off. The guy's playing for his career, and it shows. I don't know if I've ever seen a guy not get extended that just, like, turns it into fuel for, for playing in a contract year. But, Wally, give me, you know, take it over. Give us your thoughts. Give us – you watch this game intently. Let's hear it. Well, that's – first of all, it's a great place to start because Josh Jacobs was a man possessed. He had over 300 scrimmage yards in this game. And it's scary as a Raiders fan because you know what's going to happen is he's either going to get franchise tagged or they're going to find a way to extend him after this year. He's coming off of two straight seasons of four yards average rush or lower. I don't know if this is sustainable. I don't know if this is him or if the last two years are. And to your point, you're getting a very motivated Josh Jacobs knowing he's playing for his career. I will say it felt like two playoff teams playing. And that was what was so frustrating because what it actually was, was a meaningless win for one side and a debilitating home loss for the other side. Both defensive units have let down their offense time and time again this year. I mean, the Raiders had 576 yards yesterday. That is 
in the NFL, in a year like this where offenses are struggling, that is so bad. And it is going to be what holds back Seattle. And it was a joy because I really got to enjoy both quarterbacks in this game as a, a part of the very rare fraternity of Derek Carr and Geno Smith defenders. And they both played so well. The The turnovers were very misleading to anybody that watched this game. I will say I shouldn't be critical of the entire defense for the Raiders because yet again, Denzel Perriman and Max Crosby balled out. They deserve better too. I mean, Max Crosby, for instance, he has 10 and a half sacks. It's good for fourth in the league. 17 tackles for loss. He leads the NFL there. 22 quarterback hits, fourth again. It's just, like, I know there's a lot of Raider beat writers, like the great Vic Taffer, too, who are actually upset with the win. But I'm going to be honest. I know I know that this is going to hurt your draft position. But what's that matter when you can't draft well? We haven't done it in forever. I'd rather see this kind of change, whether it be culturally or whatever, because whether we like Josh McDaniels or not, he's going to be the coach the next two years. I want to at least see growth. I want to see the team play for him, play for themselves, play to extend their own jobs. And learning to win is a big part of that. I want this locker room to rally behind their coach. I want them to rally behind the quarterback that half the world wants to see fail and exiled this year. I love that they're winning these games, and I really hope they continue to do so. Even if that means a 7-10 and 10 year where you're picking 14th or 15th in the draft, six one-possession losses. I mean, they're sucking me back in. They really are. I, not that like I think this is a team that can go anywhere. I'm not naive enough to believe that they're going to run the table and get in a playoff because I really do think that 10 wins is going to be what you need, and that would be running the table for the Raiders. But I, I can't help it. I'm, I'm getting a little bit of belief and a little bit of hope that we're going to see Devontae, we're going to see Derek Carr, and we're going to see Josh McDaniels happy and hopefully celebrating a lot more in 2023. That's all we're getting from you? Well, okay, you know, that's fair. I was going to say, let me – at least bring up the Seahawks too. I'm not going to go too much in the Raiders. It win games. That's how you get me to talk about you. Start winning so games. How, and so how it. torn were you? I, I'll get you into the Seahawks hawk. How torn were you watching Gino? You know, not that's your guy. I'd argue more than Derek Carr this year. That's your guy. Uh, how well, that feel? Well, well, it's not Derek Carr oh, level a guy. Yeah, exactly. Derek, Carr, Derek Carr is a god. All right. I mean, Derek Carr is literally my screensaver, and he's my Twitter picture. He's he is everything. So I'm hoping for him, and I hope that he earns the job again next year. And right now, after the last two weeks, it's hard to argue against it. I did like watching, because I knew the Raiders were going to give up a million yards anyways. It was nice to basically watch a game where it was just Derek Carr and Geno Smith trading shots. I did enjoy that. Before the Seahawks, I mean, I brought up early that there was another NFC team that I was going to bring up, like the Giants arriving early. It's the Seahawks team. I mean, I, I would beg their fans to be patient during stretches like this because many people, and you guys might have been in, I don't remember specifics, but there are a lot of people that thought this was a team that was going to be drafting in the top five. In fun fact, they are, but it's got nothing to do with their own pick. It's because of Russell Wilson and the Broncos. Like, be patient. I mean, you're this feels special what you got. You got a great rookie class. You have a quarterback that, has had a res like career resurgence we've never seen before. Just be patient. You'll be more than a contender in the NFC West 
in 12 months if you handle this offseason right. And God, I mean, last thing, Pete Carroll, six and five with this team and watching what's going on in Denver. I mean, shit, it has people like me. Maybe it's the hater in my soul for the Broncos. It makes me want to put him in the coach of the year discussions to be able to even get this much out of the Seahawks and apparently get that much out of Russell fucking Wilson. I think you cleared the air, David. You good? Yeah, I think we uh, we take us right into uh, nerd game one of the week, which is Baltimore losing 27 to Jacksonville's 28 at Jacksonville. And this is analytics for the win, and nobody's going to talk about it, but Doug Peterson goes for two to beat the Ravens and gets it, and you won't hear a peep about analytics, but, you know, the numbers tell you to go for it, and Peterson listened rather than taking it to OT. Jacksonville gets the upset, which continuously leaves me questioning the Ravens. And, like, Lamar Jackson played awfully through the air, but was the league's best running back this week. And that includes Josh Jacobs from an from an efficiency perspective. Josh Jacobs put up the numbers. But I keep going back and forth on this Ravens team. If they have more games like this, the Bengals are going to pretty easily take the division from them. And the Bengals have a rough schedule the rest of the way, as Wally outlined earlier. One thing to keep an eye on for me is that Ravens secondary. Well, it was once strong. This secondary has been bad all year. And it starts with Marcus Peters. Last week, this past week, he gave up six catches on seven targets for 55 yards and three touchdowns. And he's only the second cornerback this season to give up three touchdown receptions in a game. I mean, that's bad. Like, that's straight up bad. And there's no excuse for it. You know, my other takeaway from a Ravens side, holy shit, my my heart is just warm and fuzzy watching Justin Tucker miss kicks. It is just uh, so perfect. I mean, he missed that thing. It's a league record kick, and he missed it by three yards. So, like, not that bad. Guy would have made it from 64. But, my God, it just it just makes you all warm and fuzzy inside as an AFC North opponent that Justin Tucker missed a game-winning kick. Uh, there's just nothing else to say about it from that end. The one internal storyline that, like, I really don't see a whole lot about is Lamar Jackson lashing out on a fan who basically said he sucked then deletes it, and then lashes out on a reporter who calls him out for it and basically calls it as it was. And boy, again, as a Browns fan, man, I have never been more excited to see the Ravens have to decide between six years, $250 million, or letting their franchise quarterback walk away. And boy, it's just invigorating watching that happen and play out. God. Well, imagine you get a similar Russell Wilson thing where you've been saying for years that he's not that good. And you might be able to watch that firsthand, whether it be him going somewhere else and maybe struggling or them paying him a billion dollars and seeing him not be surrounded by talent for the rest of his career. Like he's used to. Well, I will start with this. If we're going to start with the Ravens, I want to start with Justin Tucker. Like you said, he had made 65 straight fourth quarter or overtime field goal attempts. I mean, that first of all, that's unbelievable when you say that out loud. But he is 0 for 2 from 60-plus this year. So as David Harbour would say, it's a Tide commercial. Justin Tucker is washed, everybody. He's not good anymore. We're all, we're all there, right? We're hammering the table. He's a terrible kicker. We don't want him. Get him out of the league. 
Ever since he's been, he's just too cringy. I don't know if I fuck with Justin Tucker anymore because the dude the is opera a man. cringe monster. Well, the last couple of weeks where he's just, what did he do? He, when they beat the Broncos, he had that cheesy Russell Wilson thing. When they beat the Saints, oh yeah, oh, what am I going to say? I'm smoking on a Saints pack. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm cool, I'm hip. No, dude, you're, you're a fucking dweeb. You're a kicker. You're not that cool, but no, He's definitely falling off, right? Like, who the fuck's Justin Tucker? As far as I'm concerned, it's just still Adam Benatieri's uh, role as the best kicker in my lifetime, so fuck him. No, but it, it looked it looked good, too. It was good. Right? It felt good the entire way. And I was like, no, no, no. I was like, that was short? That's what that's what you were supposed to see in Detroit last year. You know Lions fans are pissed, but that's what you get for having a dome, bud. Ravens. Continue, Wally. No, you're good, buddy. You go ahead. I, I, I just have... My Jags bit after, but you go ahead right now. Let's talk Ravens. Ravens lost all these games. Up 35-14 with 12 minutes left in the fourth quarter. 20-3 lead uh, against Baltimore at halftime. 20-10 lead over the Giants with six minutes left in the game. A nine-point lead against Jacksonville with six minutes left in the game. First of all, like David said at the top of the of introducing this game, the game ended 28-27. This was a 19-10 game. With six minutes left, RAP to all of the underbetters. That is just brutal to be a part of here. But there's something in the air. This Baltimore team, and you can lay it on the defense, they have been bad, but they have been the most consistently bad defense against the past as well, or against the past, excuse me. It's a glaring issue. Look at if Josh Allen is healthy. Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, those are just your top two that you are most likely going to have to face just in the playoffs. We're not sprinkling in. Maybe maybe some, maybe some, the Chargers all of a sudden get in. Justin Herbert, he's been getting a lot of slander this year. I'm on the Herbie hype train. I'm staying on that Herbie hype train. But you're going to have to battle with him. Mike White, come – Mike White? You can't deal with Mike White. God, Mike White. The, the legend continues. But no, it's-, it's Mike White, the God, not God, Mike White. That's uh, my fault. You're you're right. Great catch. Gotcha. That's a great catch. We'll we'll fix that editing. No problem. But I'm seriously, I'm so happy for Trevor Lawrence. I'm happy for Doug Peterson. Raiders legend Zay Jones had about 700 receiving yards yesterday, and Jags fans deserve this. And how about that speedo wearing mascot? Is that new? Because that was absurd yesterday too. I I don't know if you saw that. It has to be because now it's all over Twitter, and it, it would have been originally. If it wasn't, but now yeah. it's like, dude, you're in the middle of November, just flexing on people and how warm it is in Florida. Like, why would you not do that during September or October? But Hey, it's a USA speedo. He's just rooting for the boys for the, for the world cup. Yeah. Wear that in August and maybe you'll get more sympathy from the Northern fans. Cause yeah, I was a little chapped when I saw them. I got it so nice there. I, I just miserable, but anyways, uh, a win right there that begs, Jaguar fans to stay positive amidst a season that will be over in about a month. It is a culture defining win in Jacksonville this, to finally win a game against an opponent like this, where we keep seeing them consistently fall just short to do it in the way, in the fashion that they did this, where so much credit to Doug Peterson to anybody that might not have seen this live yesterday they score that touchdown with like 10, 11 seconds left, whatever, 14 actually, because I'll get into something that Doug Peterson got bailed out for. But he was trotting out his, his kicker for an extra point. They reviewed it, made sure it was a touchdown. And he was able in that moment to say, you know what? I was wrong. 
Let's go analytically. Let's go with the momentum. Let's go for two. Let's not kick the extra point. And that willingness to admit, hey, maybe I'm not doing it right is such a rare quality in coaches where I feel like even if it it sometimes takes an egregious act to get guys to admit that they're wrong, they'll double down no matter what. Being humble enough to say, I don't know it all, that is such a quality that not only is great in the locker room, but those teams, those teammates, those players are going to love him for trusting them in that situation. The flip is that there's going to be times that Doug Peterson makes a call that we're not enthralled with, squibbing there at the end of that game and basically giving a player to, to Baltimore and Lamar to effectively only need 10, 15 yards to get into the best kicker in NFL history's range. He got lucky as hell that Baltimore only got eight yards on that play because typically in those situations, you see the 15, 20 yards over the middle. Justin Tucker's piping one from 60. So he did get lucky there, but overall culture-defining win, massive for Doug Peterson, massive for those fans. You can really feel the tide turning in Jacksonville. I'm pretty happy about it. I, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm pretty happy about it. If you There's a video going on Twitter. I do not I do not know who the player is, I, I, which I feel bad about, but it's a little snippet, and this guy goes, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but I fucking love Doug Peterson. I'd run through a brick wall. I'd go, I'd go to war with Doug Peterson. I love Doug Peterson. It's perfectly said, and I'm pretty sure the same guy later got quoted as saying, I'm happy for Trevor Lawrence. He gets a real rookie season now that he doesn't have to deal with urban Meyer didn't pull punches actually said it. And I love that because it, it feels like that locker room last year might've been obviously really toxic, but it's almost being used as this like rallying cry. Like guys, if we've made it through that, we can make it through anything. The chargers now, as you said before, nerd game, number two of the week, 25, 24, they beat the Cardinals. In a game, realistically, we probably did not expect to even have to come down to that. It raises questions, fair questions, whether or not the Chargers are also kind of fraudulent, fugazis, but they do get it done. Gerald Everett, two-point conversion late with only a few seconds left themselves to get it, uh, get them a win. And realistically, not only saving the Chargers season, but Staley's job as well. Because if they fall to five and six, it's over. The season's done, especially with how deep the AFC is. I mean, they have to be, I mean, or instead now they're breathing down the Jets, the Bengals, and the Pats neck, but bad teams find ways to lose. After this season, I'm actually kind of tempted to go back and revisit hard knocks for the Cardinals in year because this is such a fiasco. When they agreed to do hard knocks mid-year, It was under the assumption that they'd be playing meaningful football games right now. Instead, you have Kyler Murray, which I didn't know it was a real quote. I thought it was just a Twitter thing. But him saying something to the effect of the schematics were so fucked we were doomed. That is, like, don't get me wrong. I think Kyler Murray has his own real problems. I don't like, I I don't really don't like him as a leader of a team. This last year has really kind of raised eyebrows and you can feel it where even the wide receivers are not really in love with this guy, but there's problems all over. It is an umbrella problem. It is at coaching. It is at the players. It is an organizational issue. I don't even know where to go because this was 
amazing to watch the Cardinals really out charger the Chargers on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, from a Cardinals perspective, Kyler Murray going out and saying that shit to the media is like an immediate loss locker room. Just say goodnight to the season. Your quarterback doesn't believe in your coach. It's just a shit show of an organization. And it right splits now. it. It's literally you have yeah. the half that's on the coach's side, and you have the half that's on the player's side. Yeah, it's just it's a shit show, and I don't know where you go as a Cardinals fan, but analytics for the win again. Staley goes for two to beat the Cards and gets it. Big week for the nerds, boys. It's a big week for the nerds. Uh, Fuck the analytics, Staley. It, it's not. Don't don't. Give Staley the crush of analytics. That Don't dude is going this. for this it regardless. At its finest. <laughs> at its finest. Anyways, Herbert had an incredible performance. 75% of his passes completed. 274, three scores. Derwin James played like the guy we know he can play like. Forced two turnovers. Allowed a 58 rating when targeted. I personally still think Staley's on the hot seat because this team should be way better than what it is. But it's regardless, it's a great win for the Chargers. Yeah, Staley, Staley's nowhere – he's nowhere far away from the hot seat. I probably didn't word that right. But, no, the dude is very much in the hot seat. He is on the radar, and it was ballsy. You know, like Even looking at it, like it made sense, I guess, to go for it with the season on the line. But to effectively end it and not extend it, hindsight's twenty twenty. He looks like a fucking genius now, but when he does it again this week and, they, and he doesn't hit it on a stupid fourth down player or a two-point conversion, whatever it may be, then everyone's going to laugh at him. But my guy Herbie coming out, he's finally got Keenan Allen back, David. Did you start him this week? Fucking no, and I could have started him against Wally, but my dumbass didn't, and instead I got a fucking root from Michael Pittman tonight. That's rough. On the other hand, I did start – Keenan Allen I'm pretty sure I'm still going to lose that game but nonetheless I still have hope going into Monday with Pat Fairmuth and uh, Najee Harris great great move by August Steve to pick two Steelers in this just high profile offense that they have here but Herbie's got three touchdowns the Chargers are just surviving right now by the skin of their teeth I love that Keenan Allen's back but I had to wait for this for Wally to get back James Conner game I sent you eyeballs and I was waiting. Every time he catches a ball, I think of you right away. So as soon as he scored, I'm like, eyeballs. No, I got nothing back. You probably didn't even know I was, like, giving you a little, I don't know. I don't It's not really shit because he, you know, he actually looked like an NFL running back for about three hours. Yeah, sorry that he just averaged, like, 4.8 yards per carry on 120. Probably career game. high. Yeah, probably. Probably that one game probably boosted his career high for yards per carry because it's been so low for so long. He's probably at like 3.2 now. <laughs> oh, no. I'd, I'd rather pay him than Josh Jacobs. Uh, You're a clown. Sorry. At least this team has him under contract. Um, but now the Chargers are <laughs> now the Chargers are sitting in Taking the ninth seat right now. I, I'm sorry. You have, we're all miserable here. We're all going to have to catch strays. You are um, in last place. Believe that or not. You said you're four and eight. I, it just hit me. The Packers are probably no, for the, the first No, the time. Bears lost. The Bears lost again. Well, I'm seeing you know, the Lions. You're no, no, no. I'm talking about the three of us. This has got to oh, be yes. one of the first times in our life that the Packers are below the Raiders and the Browns in November. About yeah. to be December. Crazy. Facts. But the Chargers, Chargers sitting in ninth seed, right? They got Vegas, Miami, Tennessee, Indy, Rams, and Denver left. They might run the table here for a wild card. I'm not taking anything crazy. They're obviously not going to win the West. 
But Vegas, they they need that. So all of a sudden, Vegas gets hot at the end of the season, coming to rip everyone's dreams out, which is really Wally's hope and dream. A couple of years ago, or a couple of weeks ago, he just wants to see everyone unhappy. You might be seeing it. You might be playing them right into your hands, but Miami playoff team, Tennessee playoff team, that's going to help you. Rams, you got to win that. Indy, you got to win that. Denver, my God, is there anything? At the end of the day, ninth seed, I don't care how it ends up, playoff or fired for Staley. You just took it. Sean Payton era. I was just – I see it here in your notes. I'm so happy you said that. I was going to ask, is this playoff or bust for Staley? Because I think that it is too. It has to be with the way that it went down last year and for him to continue, it's, it's looking like when you bring back, you bring back that girlfriend or boyfriend, because this time they really changed. And then two weeks later, they're back on their bullshit. That's Brandon Staley right now. Like he has got, you got to get your shit together. Come on. For every two point conversion victory, the chargers have, they have a gaffe like the one that happened in Cleveland, where we would probably still be talking about it had it not been for Cade York pushing it wide right. You know Vegas is going to blow them out this week. Chargers won, and it was a close game, so they're going to follow it with a nice, brisk three-possession loss this week. See, I don't know. The way those two teams play, I mean, you'll have to hear this week uh, on our preview show, I do think that I haven't seen the over-under yet. That might be my favorite bet of the week is the over in the Chargers Raiders game. Cause even if that's at 52, I'm hammering the over. That game screams 34 31. It's just how those teams play each other. And I do agree with you. I think because the Raiders have nothing to, to gain from winning, they'll win because that's what those organizations do. They can't help but get out of their own way or get in their own way, I should say. But let's go to your team now. The Green Bay Packers, they go to Philadelphia. Very fun Sunday night football game. The Eagles win 40 to 33. Steven, I'm going to throw it to you right away. Couple thoughts, and I need your thoughts on them. 500 yards on the dot from Philadelphia yesterday. The Packers defense going into the year, we really thought might be fringe elite. Instead, it's yet again an Achilles heel. The Eagles, we'll get to them after. We'll stick with you first. But Jordan Love, he comes in in relief of Aaron Rodgers yesterday, has a big touchdown pass, and I got to imagine it's got to give you a little hope that you didn't even know you had in Jordan Love in the future. Where are you at with him? So with Jordan Love, he did not look bad, right? I think you know there's a couple plays that you run through here, and you don't really see until you know you have the guys on Twitter that break it down that that this is literally their job, what we're aspiring to be, right? But Jordan, there's a lot of passes that a rookie or what you're expecting him to throw, he's throwing with Darius Slay kind of baiting him a little bit on back-to-back passes, and he goes the other way. I think it was like the third or fourth pass, hits Christian Watson, and my God, Christian fucking Watson, man. You know, as much as I've been the minimal slander, just being overall upset, I'm ready to just kind of shove my foot in the mouth about the slander, but I'm not all on board of like, oh, it's, it's an amazing draft pick. But compared to where he's been, his first nine quote unquote games with all the other Packers receivers. You have Romeo dubs. You got Christian Watson and sandwich in between that's little man called Devonte Adams. Again, take it with a lot, a lot of grains of salt, but it's just kind of refreshing to see, uh, but, but it's gotta be Love, the you know, silver lining of the season for you guys. Right. I mean, you have, you got a real belief. You have an elite receiver in the making. Yeah. And you know, he didn't, he didn't catch on, 
he could have started off hot, right? We saw what that first pass was in the beginning of the year against Minnesota. He kind of wasn't, he was injured all off season. He's drops that pass. You know, he's got hamstring injuries. He's got a little nagging ankle. Now he's starting to really kind of put it together. Six touchdowns the last three games. I mean, he's just been on a tear right now. If, you know, if he continues this trajectory, I don't think he's going to, you know, multiple touchdown games every game, but you give me 75, 75 to a hundred, but the lower yardages has touchdowns. He, this dude might be making a push for offensive rookie of the year that we never were, were expecting him. Green Bay, Aaron Rodgers. I'm here. I like Jordan Love. I'm also here to back Aaron Rodgers up. Keep this dude in because I like the mentality of you're not taking me out if we're still mathematically alive, which you're stupid, dude. We're not. You can look at it as much as you want. We are not alive. Green Bay is dead in the water, dead in rights. Unless one of the NFC East teams falls so much that it's going to overpower the tiebreaker that they own above Green Bay. I, I just don't see it happening. But I like it. Why not get Jordan Love in there? Especially if Aaron Rodgers were expecting him to come back. And you think that he would. You know, I like what Romeo Dobbs did. If we can get if we can get Randall Cobb back for a cheaper deal, send fucking Sammy Watkins home. You got Christian Watson. Make another splash here. Maybe Aaron is starting to kind of see what this team can be next year. Before I go flip it over to the Green Bay defense, my God, Philadelphia, my goodness, Jalen Hurts, my goodness. This is just a stacked team offensively, and they did well. But let's give kudos to Green Bay and what that offense was able to do against that stellar Philadelphia defense that really Green Bay hasn't shown any flashes of. This is a team three weeks ago that scored nine points against arguably the worst defense in the league, and now they're putting up 33 10 of those points coming from their backup quarterback, and they should have had more because that was a DPI in the end zone on the Randall Cobb pass that ended up being dropped. My biggest thing is fucking fire Joe Barry. Fire Joe Barry. What is the deal? Jalen Hurts. This dude had over 100 rushing yards, three and a half series, three and a half series into the game. When is it going to click with you? Like, you know what? Let's not let this fucking guy torch us. Let's let A.J. Brown torch us because we have uh, Jair Alexander. Let's take that risk. Let's take a risk of Devontae Smith torching us. You can't look in the mirror. You know what? I don't look in my, I don't go look in my closet and see a bunch of XL shirts and say, you know what? I'm going to put a large shirt on today because it's feeling risky. Oh, it doesn't fit. Oh, there's another large shirt. Let's fucking try that. Oh, my tits are showing. Let's try this medium shirt then. That must be the answer. It's it's ridiculous. It blows my mind. And it's, you know, we're coaching from the couches. We're coaching from the mics and the podcast here. But to David's point earlier, that 85% of these coaches, at least it feels like, are just making horrible clock management decisions. And there's no way that regular folks like us can sit here and be like, dude, you're fucking stupid. You're not doing it. Joe Barry, what are you doing? One series in. When Jalen Hurts rips off a 50-yard pet, you know what? 50-yard rush. You know what? We should probably stop this. You know what? No. When it's third and 14, we're going to fucking be at the first down mark. Give them 13 yards of separation and make them work. Oh, they got it. How many, how many more times do we need to see teams rush all over Green Bay and you're playing like a soft fucking prevent on third and 10 plus? It is embarrassing. The thing is, is I've seen a lot of things on Twitter. Well, you can't blame Joe Barry. He's not the player. I can't blame Joe Barry because if you're a real fucking defensive coach, you set your players up for success. You put Jari shadowing somebody. You play five fucking men on the front lines. I don't care. Stop the rush. Just do something. 
just do something. It is miraculous how fucking dumb Joe Barry is. And and this is going to kind of spruce it up David's argument about the whole defensive lineman thing, right? Since Rashawn Gary has been out, well, I guess he's a he's an edge rusher, but still, since Rashawn Gary has come out with the injury, the Packers defense has allowed 443 yards per game with allowing almost 32 points per game. D-line, trenches podcast. You cannot tell me how important the D-line is not and when you see that. But at the end of the day, Philly is Philly. Green Bay kept it. Green Bay had the game. Outside of an outrageous interception, which was a good play on the, on the first interception for Aaron, a wacky second interception here. Maybe this could have been that game, but we've been saying that way – as Packer fans, we've been saying that way too much throughout the duration of the season. Aaron has been laying it on the line. He's got a broken thumb. He's got a rib injury now, right? I, I like seeing that from my quarterback, and I can't imagine – it's a double-edged sword. I know I keep saying that of – I can't imagine why this dude would want to leave laying his body out on the line, but now it kind of seems that he wants to leave because he's laying the body out on the line. He goes, you know what? This might be my last year. I'm leaving it all on the field. But if Aaron wants to stay, let's fucking bench him, man. Just bench him. Green Bay's got like a top nine pick right now. I know we're I know we're gonna blow it on some fucking like second string guard from Northwestern because he has the tangibles. But still, let's get a top nine pick. Let's do something and let's see what Jordan Love can give us at this point. Before I leave, 15 years almost to the day. November 29, 2007. Brett Favre is injured in a game and is replaced by Aaron Rodgers going up against a 10-1 and NFC East team in the Dallas Cowboys. Fast forward to November 27th, 2022. Jordan Love comes in replacement of an injured Aaron Rodgers against a 10-1 and NFC East team. Life is full circles, man. Ayahuasca, am I right? My, with all due respect, with all the peace and love, my brother in Christ, Jordan Love is not Aaron Rodgers. However, nope. I get I get why you're doing that. But the frustrating thing for me, and I hate to keep beating a dead horse, and I hate to pile on, because going into what you said, what's so frustrating is that one of the only defenses of the front office of drafting basically everything but wide receiver is that, hey, we're trying to make this an elite defense to basically compliment Aaron Rodgers in the offense. When you take two defensive players that early and you're giving up 500 yards defensively, when you are supposed to be an elite team, you lose every bit of that, I guess, reasoning for doing it. Because like, you have, year after year now, you were watching in the NFL draft, first-round wide receivers. It's about the safest position that you can draft now. You would get legitimate elite talent immediately. Christian Watson looks outstanding. He looks unbelievable. But there are the Justin Jeffersons of the world that are Chris up ahead Olave, of him. Chris Bowen, Olave, Garrett Wilson, Garrett Wilson. Exactly. There's one I'm missing off the top of my head for some reason. I, I don't know why, but there's someone else we're missing. Well, it's like this next year, for instance, if you do play Jordan Love and, and you guys fall down a cliff, you're going to be in the Jordan Addison sweepstakes. You're going to be in the Jackson Smith and Jigba camp or in that area. It's just, is this going to be yet another year that Fuck you that do Marvin you Harrison said? Jr. Well, you're two years away. So, I mean, if you're fine holding out hope for that, you got that. But it's just, it's very frustrating. I, I'm frustrated on your behalf uh, at Coop. this point. 
Fire, yeah, fire pre-match, everybody. The only thing I have on, on the Eagles is with their schedule. They have the Titans, two against the floundering G-men, the Cowboys, Bears, and Saints. It really does feel like we know where home field's running through, doesn't it? It feels pretty much over. David, we've been talking for an hour. Do you have any takeaways, whether it be Eagles or Packers from this game? No, this game locks up Jalen Hurts for MVP, in my opinion, unless uh, barring some unforeseen circumstance. I and, love that take. I love that take. It, it locks it up for me because he won on the ground and, uh, you know, he did it all. And Steven, I know I get the Pat Mahomes take earlier. I would agree with you. Pat Mahomes is probably actually the MVP, but knowing how MVP voting is going to roll, it's the LeBron effect. Yeah, it's it's Jalen Hurts for sure is is how this game. That's my takeaway from this game. Doesn't it get frustrating at times? Like in the NBA, it's the LeBron effect. In the NHL, it's the Crosby, Connor McDavid effect. Like why have the award if we're not going to actually vote for the most valuable player? You can't win uh, if we keep if we keep voting him in. So, well, we need someone new. No, you don't. Then fucking beat them. Just beat them. I don't understand why that's such a hard concept for people. Uh, it's just like just let them have it. Like you could argue, you know. I guess I'd really have to go back in the stats. I think two years ago, Aaron. I think Aaron is has it. I, you could argue Pat Mahomes had it last year. I think Aaron's didn't really have that much of a year. It's just the the Chiefs as a whole weren't the Chiefs that we were used to seeing. So they're like, oh, well, it's obviously Pat Mahomes, even though they had like a bottom seven defense for like three-fourths of the year. It's obviously Pat Mahomes. we got to give it to Aaron Rodgers and like stuff like that. So, yeah, it's annoying. And and Jalen Hurts is probably most likely going to win it. The only reason I was kind of off it, just based off the tweet I saw in comparison of the Lamar Jackson year that he had. But, yeah, it's Jalen Hurts is that guy. And shout out, shout out to the third-year leaps. That's all I got to say. Last, 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 last thing, I swear, on this game. Do you think that being a Tennessee Titan fan can be a little hard when you're watching Philadelphia right now? Because imagine what Tennessee's offense could do with an A.J. Brown. A.J. Brown is so good. We're talking elite, elite, top five wide receiver in football, and that might be low. He is, what he's doing and what he's done for Jalen Hurts, for Devonta Smith, for that offense, for the running game. It's been unreal. I know, shout out to Zach Youssef, our, our buddy, David, uh, the, the big diehard Eagles fan. This is, I mean, Howie Roseman, that trade and what he's done, where he's still going to have a top 10 pick in the draft this next year with everything else. And you know what that'll be. It'll be an elite edge rusher or it'll be another great offensive lineman because they built from within. I can't say enough how much I hate that this team's from Philadelphia because I want so badly to like root for them unimpeded with no shame. I just don't want Philadelphia to be happy. I want Zach to be happy. I want this. I, I want the team itself to be happy. I just hate the city they reside in. And it has been such an internal struggle this year that I'm really struggling with, but the Eagles are really good. That's all I'm going to say. Very good. With that, let's get into our last minute predictions before we uh, toss it out of here, boys. we got the Pittsburgh Steelers. I want to say the line has moved to two and a half in favor of the Indianapolis Colts, who are the home team up there in Lucas Oil. Pittsburgh money line. The Colts have not beat the Steelers since 2008. Look, for all you prop betters out there, I need Michael Pittman to outscore Friarmouth, Muth, whatever his name is, by three points today. 
in order to beat Wally and fantasy football. So go out, find your Pittman, Fryermuth, find those prop bets and slam the fucking unders. And I know it'll be too late by the time you guys hear this, but you know, slam the unders because if Wally and I need them to do well, they're fucking dropping goose eggs. Yeah, this is a tie. Like there'll be a way that this turns into a tie for sure. I will say I couldn't be more thrilled with this matchup because it's a prime game for me to pop a few gummies, edit this podcast, and completely disassociate from this garbage football. This screams 12-10 win for the Colts, maybe 12-10 win for the Steelers now that you brought up that stat. 2008. 2008. That is crazy. Well, like how often do they really meet in the in, in season, you know? You would still imagine it's probably been five or six times, wouldn't you think? Yeah, no, for sure, especially with the matchups. But, yeah, uh, that was a mind-blowing well, stat. Ago, not right? necessarily, though, because the Colts have always been pretty good and the Steelers have always been the division winner. And those two, like, top two teams of the division, even when they pair up, aren't going to face each other often. Isn't I'm that how guess. the old schedule used to work out? Or it might still be true. Well, it is. But that's only for those like miscellaneous two games because it works where you get two divisions on both sides, and no matter right. what, you got those. So I'd imagine but it's based on the winning, like the the how good those divisions were. As See, a whole. it's a round robin; it it rotates. So every three years, you're gonna play the AFC North, the AFC East, the AFC West, uh, South, whatever. I thought it was based on how good the divisions were as a whole. Well, that's how those miscellaneous games are where let's say you, uh, who does the uh, Browns play this year? They have the NFC South and the AFC East, I believe. Yeah. You have the bills and I believe, yeah, the dolphins, then there'll be a random team against, I don't know, like the Cardinals or something stupid that you match up with because of that. So it is a factor, but I bet they've played four or five times. But well, now you have that fun. 17th game, and they're just like, ah, fuck it, here's this team. <laughs> yeah, just play them. It, it works. It works out. Like the you know, first year they had it, they're like, Green Bay, they're like, eh, you're going to Kansas City. What? How's that, how the fuck does that work? Oh, God. All right, well, I got nothing else. I, I think it's going to be a low-scoring game, and I'm excited to half-watch. That will bring us to an end of yet another episode here at Lost It Down. Shout out to our sponsors, Tabbies.com, the premier Delta 8 edible on the market. Use that promo code FOOTBALL for 20% off that order and free shipping. And AbbyTurnerPhoto.com. Abby Turner Creative saw down in Sapphire on the Instagram. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, as well as YouTube. Lost It Down on Twitter, down underscore loss. Boys, I know we were kind of talking a little bit about the game show, but do you have any other parting words? Maybe some uh, World Cup predictions here. Big Iran fan, always have been. Always rooting for them tomorrow. Same with Argentina against Poland. Really, really willing this to happen. So I'm rooting for Iran really hard. Hold on. In what? Argentina. Why? Because if I oh, root buddy, for the United States in Poland, <laughs> yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to – I, I should be careful. I'm going to get myself canceled. You but always are, a big, big Iran fan. Always have been. This is a redemption game for us. This is this is because we're going to beat Iran because of what they did to us for Katrina. So I'm pretty sure they started Katrina. Pretty sure that's the reason New Orleans got hit. It wasn't something that man, was manifested by weather. It, it was Iran. And on that note. <laughs> Go Iran. <laughs> <laughs>